Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. It was early on a Sunday morning. It was early. They are exhausted. They're bowed down with grief and confusion. They live in an occupied land that is ruled by violence. Their status was dependent upon where you were born, which family you were born into, and how much wealth you had. The religious systems had offered a way of navigating life, but even that didn't help when illness struck and you were just shunned and others were fearful of catching something and you had to hide away. Into this picture had stepped someone who was different. He'd spoken in a different way. He demonstrated a peace, a peace that passed understanding. He reached out across social and economic and religious boundaries. He spoke to those who were ignored by society and he reached out and touched those who others were shunning. He spoke and people found healing in body and mind and spirit. When he spoke, even the waves died down and the rushing wind was still. He welcomed all and was with compassion and mercy. And they had begun to glimpse a different way of life. They'd begun to dare to hope. And little by little, they had put their trust in the one called Jesus. Hadn't their hearts burned when he talked? And they'd begun to follow him and support him. And then somehow, seemingly, it had all gone wrong. He was arrested and brought before the authorities. And before they knew it, they were there at the foot of a cross, watching him being crucified hanging the place of utmost shame and humiliation, seemingly abandoned by the God he'd spoken of and showed them. They watched him cry out in pain and then bow his head and die. It was early on Sunday morning and they are exhausted and bowed down by grief and confusion. They're uncertain of what's next, but they know the customs and they go to the tomb early to anoint the body. They can do the practical things. When our minds are confused and all seems uncertain, we can stick with what we need to do practically. They arrive at the tomb. And in Matthew's account, which Kay just read for us, it's the most dramatic account. There is an earthquake and an angel appears. The guards, those tough, 
Roman soldiers, there to ensure nothing happens, faint with fear. The women are still standing. No comment. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. And then the angel gives an invitation. The angel says, come and see. Come and see. See the empty tomb. Before you run off in fright or run to tell anybody or run to do anything, come and see. You need to know this for yourselves. You need to see that the tomb is empty. This is a moment in history when everything changes. The moment in history when everything changes. See, in many ancient cultures, there had been this understanding of history that it was kind of a cyclical thing. What happened was that a civilization would rise up and then there would either be a huge war or there'd be a terrible natural disaster and it would all come crumbling down. And then gradually, a new civilization would rise up and try its best and it would gain and progress and then something terrible would happen and it would crumble. And so history goes round and round in a cycle that no one could break out of. Others viewed human history as this uh, progression basically downwards from the golden ages of before getting worse and worse and worse. And then there was a school of thought, mainly in the West, that saw everything as a trajectory of development, progressing, getting better and better, socially, economically, environmentally. We were going to get better and better and better. But from the beginning of the 20th century, the idea of progress, well, it's been severely challenged. Between 1900 and 1950, there were two world wars. There was a pandemic, the flu, that was worldwide and wiped out millions. And there was the Great Depression. In 1939, the author, H.G. Wells, wrote this. The wanton destruction of homes, the ruthless hounding of decent folk into exile, the bombings of open cities, the cold-blooded massacres and mutilation of children and defenseless gentle people, the rapes and filthy humiliations, and above all, the return of deliberate and organized torture, mental torment, and fear to a world from which such things had seemed well-nigh banished has come near to breaking my spirit altogether. He wrote that in 1939. And the heartache is that he could have written it today. As we look at the world around us, with record numbers of refugees fleeing violence, many scarred by acts of atrocity and injustice, 
with pandemics on the rise and creation groaning under climate change. This idea of hope and progression getting ever better seems to lie in tatters. It's early on a Sunday morning and we can feel overwhelmed with grief and confusion and uncertainty of what the future holds. But we open the pages and you and I this morning, like those women, are given an invitation. Come and see. Come and see. See that the tomb is empty. Gaze in wonder again at the truth of the resurrection. For we are a people of hope. We do not need to fear, despair over a lack of progress or feel trapped in an unending cycle of boom and bust. Our history is marked by a completely different pattern. It's marked by a pattern of a God who stepped down from the glory of heaven to live amongst us in the person of Jesus, to reveal who he was. Jesus humbled himself. He kneels and washes the feet of his disciples. And he's obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in that moment, he takes upon himself the mess and the horror of humankind. And on that Sunday morning, he rose again. History was broken into, and a new kingdom was made possible. It was a journey, a swoop, as Mark Powley used to always call it, a swoop from the highest to the depths, but then up again. And Jesus is seated, ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, which John Swell so powerfully talked to us about last week. There's no need to be caught in a cycle of despair. There's a new possibility. There's a new way. One of the joys of meeting with interns week by week is that we have some fascinating conversations And they're now looking worried at me, like, what is she going to share? But last week, we we sang that song that's really popular at the moment, that uh, many of you will sing, Christ be magnified. Christ be magnified. And um, it's been chosen at every event I've been at for the last two weeks, Christ be magnified. And it's a great song. Uh, and And it speaks of how we magnify Christ, the one seated on the throne, but there's a, there's a little bit where it suddenly says the words are, if the cross brings transformation, you can hang me there with you. And everybody's singing that at the tops of their voices. And there's a bit in me going, I, I don't want to sing that. I can't sing that line. So I often bring my angst to the interns. Um, so I bring my angst to the interns and I say, I have a problem with that line. Because the truth is, only Jesus 
could do what he did on the cross. Only Jesus could take on himself the weight of the sins of the world. I can't get on that cross with Jesus. Only he was perfect. Only he did this. That's why we magnify him. Not me, we magnify him. And a wise intern said, yes, but when I sing that song, how I interpret that line is that actually, if we're following Jesus, we're called to lay down who we are. To, as it were, a verse uh, that St. Paul says, crucify our own sinful desires and say, we need you, Jesus. And, and she said, when I sing that, what I see is that actually I'm laying everything down like Jesus on that swoop and saying, I need you. And in that way, we enter into his suffering. I'm willing to go with you, Jesus, wherever you go. And then we'll know the joy of his resurrection. Great. She's done a great year. Fantastic. We can send her out. That was a great interpretation of how we sing that line. I still want to change the word. So if you can think of a way of changing it, because I don't know. Anyway, but, but it's those two things of one, only Christ could do that work on the cross. But we are called to humble ourselves and say, we need you. And as we say that, so we are welcomed into a new kingdom, a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of hope. We need to be people who keep on reflecting on the empty tomb. It was empty. He defeated death and sin. And that's why we've spent such a long time in this sermon series since Easter, thinking through the hope that we have, thinking through different aspects of it and different ways that we can think about it. Because we need to allow the truth of the empty tomb to seep into our very beings. Because as we take in what's going on around us, as we listen, as we need to, as we lament with others, the challenge is that we can become bowed down. And we are called to walk into those situations as a people of hope. So we need to reflect, come and see. Come and see that this hope is not a wishful thinking, cross your fingers, touch wood kind of a hope. This is a reasonable hope. It is based in historical evidence. The resurrection of Christ, wrote N.T. Wright, demands explanation from historians and from scientists. It can't simply be dismissed. A failure to provide a historically plausible alternative explanation for the eyewitness accounts and a revolutionary over-the-night worldview change of thousands of Jews is not being more scientific, it's being less so. Faith in Jesus, risen from the dead, transcends but includes what we call history and what we call science. It's a reasonable hope. It's also a full hope, hope in life in all its fullness. This is not a hope for some far away, it will be okay when we die. It's a now thing. It's a hope in now. 
It's a renewed resurrection existence that starts now. Jesus is the down payment, the first fruits of a physical resurrection. And yes, we will know the fullness and completeness of that when Jesus comes again. But we can know now. God with us in all things. God giving us joy and peace and hope in the midst of all things. And we can live with a confidence that there will come a day when this world is renewed, when this world will know justice and every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. And this hope is a gift. It's not dependent on my strength. It comes from only the one who was able to die and be raised to new life for you and for me. When we hear and meditate on that invitation, so it enables us to then hear the next thing. To be a people who are of hope going to a world that is crying out for hope. Because what did the angel say next to the women? Then go quickly and tell his disciples. What are they to say? He has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. I love the fact that as they step out in the confidence of their newfound truth, that's when they'll get to see the risen Christ at work. As they respond to that instruction to go, then they see Jesus. Then they will get to see him at work. I love um, being part of St. George's. I get to work alongside some truly amazing colleagues. And uh, two weeks ago, Josh Kekane um, was part of a launch for a book that he, alongside with two others, has written about the Trinity and trauma-safe churches. It's an amazing piece of work that um, I need August to read. And, um, but I've started it. I've started it. And the title they chose was The Dawn of Sunday. The Dawn of Sunday. And right at the start of the book, there is a quote by the artist Michelangelo. A quote by the artist Michelangelo. And he says this. This is my last quote. Stay with me. He said this, looking around the galleries of Europe, why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures of the one ever reiterated theme of Christ in weakness, of Christ upon the cross, Christ dying, Christ hanging dead? Why do you stop there as if the curtain closed upon that horror? Keep the curtain open. And with the cross in the foreground, let's see beyond it to the Easter dawn. With its beams streaming upon the risen Christ. Christ alive, Christ ruling, Christ triumphant. He goes on. For we should be ringing out over the world that Christ has won, that evil is toppling, that the end is sure, and that death is followed by victory. 
That is the tonic we need to keep us healthy. The trumpet blast to fire our blood and send us crowding in behind our master, swinging happily upon our way, laughing and singing and recklessly unafraid because the feel of victory is in the air and our hearts thrill to it. That was Michelangelo in 1564. I love that sentence, singing and recklessly unafraid because the feel of victory is in the air. It's Sunday morning and we're invited to come and see. Thank you for listening to the St. George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.